0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black.
0: Today I'm talking with Bobby Kilbert, president of Northern Virginia Technology Council. As president and CEO, Ms. Kilberg leads and manages the largest technology council in the nation, with over 1,100 member companies employing 350,000 people. Ms. Kilberg was appointed by President George W. Bush to serve as a member of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. Bobby has worked in the White House as a senior staff member for four past presidents, including Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush. So, Bobby, again, it's a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and I apologize for my voice. <laughs> Bobby, what a challenging
0: time for all of us with the current threat of COVID 19. Um, I know you've had some challenges there at Northern Virginia Technology Council. This is impacting everyone. Um, how has it been impacting Northern Virginia Technology Council and its members? What, where have you seen the biggest impacts of this current challenge?
1: I think the biggest impact for all our members, and I should say to be totally honest, that we you know, are no longer 1,100. I wish we were, but the, the COVID-19 has had an impact on us as well. So we're down to under 1,000. But that's not key. What's key it's the frustration of our members to be able to to it's the frustration of our members to be able to reach their target audiences and provide value to their customers and to their colleagues because they want to stay relevant they care deeply about the country and virtual is interesting for a while but it becomes difficult over time. you really do need the um, person-to-person interaction especially if you are an association as we are.
0: So as an association, what have, have you done anything to help in response for your members to, to help with that connection and, and being able to, uh, you know, reach out to their customers and their Oh, ecosystem?
1: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We have done since um, the lockdown or since we've, you know, we've all stayed home. So what would that be, the end of March? We have done over 60 uh, virtual events, which um, wow. bring our customers together, their customers together with our members that share important information that bring people up to date on the status of COVID-19 and how we are coping with it. That. Um, share everything from videos to best practices, to how you go back to work, to how you safely uh, conduct your businesses. So we have been exceedingly active. We also do just fun things. I mean, we do um, weekly virtual cocktail hours. Uh, We do weekly virtual trivia sessions. Um, We have a, a Masters of Leadership series Where we started off with uh, Governor Northam and the Senators Kane and Warner, and we've gone through uh, five or six really exciting, exciting speakers. And the two upcoming, the next upcoming one is the CEO of Best Buy, who we're really looking forward to uh, next week, and also the the CEO of uh, Weight Watchers, no longer called Weight Watchers, called WW. But we we we've had. I think of all the people we've had on. We had Secretary Scalia, Secretary of the Department of Labor. We had uh, Johnny Taylor, the CEO of SHRM. Uh, We had, for both of those, we had over 700 attendees. We've had Senator Mitt Romney. Uh, We've had Governor Chris Christie. We've had Democrats. We've had the House Majority Whip, uh, James Clyburn. Uh, so we've really had a broad range of people come and talk with us and spend an hour in a zoom type format you
0: know there there isn't a, a better organization around the beltway today that I don't think that has the pulse of the economic uh, situation especially for the tech industry but Leadership and clarity of plan of action is really needed during a crisis. What, what does the leadership from your perspective look like in a crisis? I, it seems to be some debate out there or, or uh, about what, what is really required and, and needed, especially the leadership qualities that are needed uh, from the federal government uh, for yeah, well, to address the, the challenge we have with COVID-19.
1: Correct, we have not you know there's no way to sugarcoat it. Um, President Trump is not leading uh, he's he is in his own world it's his own definition of reality and he's he's in the way and he's he's hurting rather than helping. I think Vice President Pence means very well and is trying very, very hard to work coordinatedly with the governors. And the governors really are the ones that are showing the leadership. If I had a strike that's home for who is probably the best leader um, in the country right now, I I would give it to Larry Hogan, Governor Hogan, hands down. I think our governor, Governor Northam, has been very good as well. What you need is clarity, precisely so. You need to say, this is what we have to do. This is what can make a difference for everybody. And if everybody did relatively simple things, we could perhaps get this over a period of two months more under control so we all can get back to our lives. But we cannot have this kind of despair. Well, maybe one day we'll do this, and maybe another day we'll do that. That is not responsible, and that's not responsible governance.
0: So I'm going to switch gears a a little bit. it, it, you know, last week we had on the show um, a partner, uh, Nick Beam, who is a partner with uh, BenRock and an investment uh, capital firm, and he was mm-hmm. sounding the alarm that America is losing its lead in technology and science and sciences to China. There's been a lot of news lately in regards to TikTok and some of the issues associated with that. What do you think of that? And uh, you know, you've you've worked for the last four four pre- you know, major poor presidents in the last couple mm-hmm. of decades, um, do you think the U.S. is doing enough to keep our lead in that area?
1: In the overall area of technology or in specific subsets of the technology?
0: Well, in particular, in the last two decades, the technology landscape has changed drastically with the evolution of cloud computing, AI, and 5G. Right. and um, you know, China has done major investments. I think it's in excess of $200 billion to ensure, yeah. you know, some form of dominance in these areas. You're I don't sitting think at the yeah. head of the Northern Virginia Technology Council. You know, what do you think about that situation? Is there a gap there? Do we need to do something?
1: Well, I don't think China has overtaken us yet, but I think there's a great danger that they can and yes they don't have lots of the niceties that we have in regard to how we develop technology they just barrel ahead and rule of law doesn't mean very much or or business ethics don't mean very much Um, so i think we are still ahead particularly in cloud computing but i think we run the real risk of getting behind and i think when we cannot function to the extent and to the, at, to the level that we should be able to as we fight the, the, the COVID-19, that impacts our leadership in the technology field. So I think China is very fast at our, our heels. I don't think they've overtaken us yet, but I think there's a great danger they can.
0: Yes. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government. on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Bobby Kilberg, President of Northern Virginia Technology Council. Bobby, there is so much talk about the need to regulate large technology companies like Google, Amazon, and Facebook. What do you think about that?
1: I much prefer, 110% prefer, that they can regulate themselves. I think that the danger of government regulating entrepreneurial enterprises no matter how large they are is not a good thing however i think it's hard to deny that facebook and even google have over time overstepped their lines a bit and so that they need to um, they need to be very aware of what the public should expect for of them so uh, my answer is I do not favor regulation, um, but I think the warning signs are there that the American public is going to insist on a certain standard, and um, they're, they're te- teetering pretty close.
0: So the free market is, is really the foundation of what really gave us the United States the ability to be able to lead, be the lead in technology Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And you can try to, you know, you can try to regulate and you turn around to regulate and you turn around and look behind you. And that regulation is almost irrelevant because we're in a whole new set of facts and a whole new set of innovation. It is exceedingly difficult and not productive to try to regulate innovation. When innovation stops being innovation, instead starts becoming, I don't know what the correct word is, but instead starts becoming Too smug, um, then you begin to have problems. Regulating innovation is a bad idea.
0: So, what do you believe would be the benefit, or it sounds like more of a negative outcome of regulating the industry? What do you think could be the outcome of that? Because clearly there's momentum around this, there's a lot of debate, especially at the state level. Um, And, you know, what 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 is the economic, uh, you know, jobs, um, you know, innovation? What do you believe would be the outcome of this type of regulation?
1: I think it would hurt, number one, innovation. And if it hurts innovation, it hurts economic growth. And if it hurts economic growth, it hurts American jobs. And we cannot ignore the fact also that we are obviously a global society and a global economy, and that uh, the ability of everyone to benefit from those technology advantages means that we need to have the free market system. So I think the end would be a bad thing. Yes, there are going to be a lot of hiccups, and there already are a lot of hiccups, and there are a lot of distressed people, and I understand that. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not a good thing.
0: You have been at the decade of NVTC for 22 years. You've been um, working with the federal government at the present, you know, at the highest levels within uh, that you can, and then the White House. Um, you bring a very unique pedigree of both technology and political experience. Um, for- you work for four presidents. Is the Washington, D.C. landscape different today than it has been in the past decades and why? And has this hurt some of our ability to be able to navigate some of these new sticky issues that have to do with uh, innovation and privacy and and, and the investment in research and development?
1: Yeah, um, it is just horrific. I mean, the environment is toxic. It is terrible. It is hateful. We've lost we seem to, we seem to have lost all ability to get anything done in a bipartisan manner or in a more importantly nonpartisan manner. Nobody's looking for compromise. Everybody is looking for who's going to want up whom um, And it is very, very distressing. The difference now I realize this ages me, but the difference between even just George Herbert Walker Bush, which was what 20 something or 30 something years ago when we started um, to now is absolutely frightening. Uh, And when you have a leader in the White House who has absolutely no interest in anything other than um, promoting his base and promoting himself, uh, the ability to have constructive progress on issues that are vitally important, gets worse and worse and worse. And I really feel for Mitch McConnell, who, as you know, obviously is the Senate majority leader, he genuinely wants to get things done. He is genuinely a good person. Every place he turns, he just finds roadblocks. You know, we can't do this because they believe in that. Well, maybe they believe in that and there's some truth to what they say. No, couldn't possibly be because they're our enemy. Why are they our enemy? Because I say they are our enemy. So I think it's a a very dangerous situation. And I really think that if something doesn't change, the fabric of democracy is in great danger.
0: So what advice as a leader would you have for today's technology leaders or the people working on Capitol Hill to help change or, you know, find that tensile strength to to come back to a more collaborative?
1: I really don't know. I think people of good faith are trying lots of things. I think the governors, by and large, really understand that in order to accomplish anything, you have to govern. Governors need to govern. And most governors do spend their time governing. And most governors, believe it or not, get lots accomplished without the uh, extraordinary partisanship that we seem to find at the federal level. So my advice would be to turn most everything you can possibly turn over to the governors uh, and to let them um, try to move the country forward. Now, obviously, that's kind of hard to do with infrastructure. You need the federal government to provide the money. But um, that's just as one example. Let the governor set the priorities that fit their states and their localities, and maybe just let the federal government get out of its way, because right now it is being harmful, not helpful. Having said that, I fully realize that we definitely need a disciplined national response to COVID. There are certain areas of life that we just simply need to be all on one consistent page and COVID is one. And unless we all get on one consistent page and unless we all uh, understand the same parameters, we're not going to get a control of this. I'm
0: going to take this one level up, Bobby. Um, Can you, you, you've talked about, you know, some great leaders in the past, but can you, can you help share what you would define as a great leader? What traits do you think leaders possess?
1: I think a great leader Has a strong sense of of right and wrong, has a strong sense of morality, has a strong sense of principles and discipline, is not afraid to say what's right when they know it is right, and the heck with the consequences in the sense of somebody not liking it or somebody taking it out on you. And I would give as a really perfect example. Two perfect examples, three actually, um, John McCain, Mitt Romney and Larry Hogan. I think the three of them have shown extraordinary uh, courage and belief and principles and we all would benefit from taking their lead.
0: You worked with four presidents, all incredible leaders, um, but which one would you rank first in your mind as leader? I think you mentioned one earlier and why.
1: Of the four I work for, okay, so I work for President Nixon, President Ford, President George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, and I I did not quote work for George W. Bush, though I was was on his PCAST board. Uh, So of those three who I actually worked with in the White House, I think hands down, Um, George Herbert Walker Bush. I think there was a combination of decency, um, principle, discipline, and belief, and a sense of love for his country above all else that will always stand him in my mind as just an extraordinary leader.
0: Any best advice you ever received from any of them? (laughs)
1: Um, yes again from from george Herbert walker bush which was bobby was one time when i uh, was really getting hit from all sides by people and he just looked at me and he said hey be who you are don't be afraid to be who you are stand up for what you believe and in the end it will all work out and if it doesn't work out you know i have your back and the fact that he will say, and you know, I have your back, meant all meant everything to me.
0: I'm speaking with Bobby Kilberg, President of Northern Virginia Technology Council. Coming up, we'll talk about how marrying your passion with your skills can really drive your career. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today we're talking with Bobby Kilberg, President of Northern Virginia Technology Council. Bobby, clearly you have really married your passion with your capabilities. I mean, I could just feel your enthusiasm about these subjects. Do you think that's contributed to your continuous success?
1: The enthusiasm about about the subject matter? (laughs) Um, Yes, but... I would say that I think what I've enjoyed most about my professional life was the ability to manage ideas and to move the ball forward. And it isn't so much the topic, i.e. technology, it is the ability to see, hopefully, what is coming down the pike and help it move forward. Um, I really like process, and I think heading a trade association is a wonderful way to um, to move the process forward in whatever topic there is before you.
0: What was your first job here in the nation's capital?
1: My first job, I was a my husband and I both together were White House fellows, which is a program that was started about five years before we became part of it. Um, it was started under Lyndon Johnson. Uh, with John Gardner, who was, at that point, the secretary of HEW. And it was, the purpose of the program was to bring young people, uh, about 17 or 18 of them, into federal government for one year of service to work at the highest levels of government, i.e., for cabinet members to get an experience and an understanding of how you develop into leaders, and then to go back to your home communities or other communities and make a difference. And it was an extraordinary opportunity back in those days, it was exceedingly popular to try to become a White House fellow. So you had over three thousand applicants, and we wound up with eighteen fellows. So it was quite an honor to be selected number one, but number two, the ability to see really close up and personal how the fe- how and why the federal government worked was an experience that has stayed with me for my lifetime. so, and we are now we are past fifty years as the White House Fellows program started in 1964 or 1965. So we have been over well over fifty years of a White House Fellows program. I think we're getting into our fifty-fifth year, um, and it is quite a a um, it is quite a networking group of people's over 500 individuals who've been fellows over the years and they can be a formidable force uh, for good i hope
0: <laughs> yeah there, there's an amazing list so that there's a rich history of the government cooperating and developing relationships early on like the white house fellows program China is investing very heavily in uh, STEM education and developing closer ties to just because of the nature of their their government organization, but closer ties to private sector and academia. Do you think the U.S. needs to look at how they approach this with Silicon Valley and other high-tech areas in the U.S.? to help drive innovation and research across our nation?
1: Well, first of all, getting to the very basics, we simply need more young people going into STEM education. And we need particularly more minority people going into STEM education, more women going into STEM education. Because if you don't have that basic framework, you can't get to the next level, which is the research. and the product development. Um, So that's number one. Number two, we can do a heck of a lot more to tailor the needs of industry to the needs of our education system. There still is a big dichotomy between what many of our schools teach and what our business community actually needs. And unless there is a meshing of that, um, a lot will be lost. Uh, we've done a very good job, I think, of increasing the amount of money and resources going into prime research. Um, and, but we need a better job of that prime research turning into actual products and, um, and progress. In order to do that, again, we need a much closer tie between what we teach and what, and what we expect to come out as the final product.
0: What do you believe will be the biggest disruptor, accelerator for technology sector going into the next decade? If you were somebody about to start studying STEM, where would you suggest they start?
1: Wow. Um, Well, not where you start. You need to start with the basics. But once you get through the basics, I think where I would focus would be artificial intelligence. I think the ability and autonomous systems, those two. I think the ability to harness artificial intelligence for the good of the world is exponential, and the ability to help drive that through autonomous systems is going to be a necessity. So I think I would really focus on those two, and I'm surprised every day at you know the more the new applications for artificial intelligence. So I think I would focus on those two.
0: The Northern Virginia technology uh, uh, sector has been growing at leaps and bounds. Uh, Leasing for data centers in Northern Virginia area has been at an all time high. Um, Tell us about that and where you think some of the biggest players and opportunities may be for some of our listeners out there.
1: Well, Loudoun County, as you probably know, is the largest concentration of data centers in the world. Uh, and all you have to do is get in your car and go drive. You, you know, with The day of COVID, you don't have to get out of your car, you can just get in your car and drive around and see what is being built in Loudoun County. Um, It used to have 70% of all the internet traffic in the world going through Loudon, and that probably continues to be the same, though it's now mostly in the cloud. Um, Those companies can locate anywhere, and Virginia has done an especially good job of providing tax incentives to, incipient and operating data centers to entice them to come and stay in Virginia and uh, that is key to our economic growth and to our economic future. Uh, you, You do have some not in my backyard folks in Loudoun and elsewhere who believe the data centers are unsightly and they worry about Um, electrical grids and things like that I think those are unnecessary concerns and I think the data center community is addressing those very very well but um, data centers I'm not going to identify or name individual data centers because my membership would get very upset but I think that um, the growth of data centers particularly in Virginia is exponential and never-ending
0: and there's a ripple effect to data centers. Data centers don't necessarily create a lot of jobs in themselves because they, they no. run very, very lean. But it's the ability to be able to build an infrastructure from an IT perspective where you don't have to build necessarily an infrastructure from a highways and roads because you can work remotely, right? right. It's, it's playing into it today. So do you think that they'll have that ripple effect of across the nation with all these this this just boom of data centers and cloud computing, um, yes. different types of job creation?
1: Yes, I think it will. And, you know, first of all, data centers have to be built. And when they're built, that does create a lot of construction jobs. So we shouldn't minimize that. Once they're built and everything's in place, it doesn't take a lot of people to keep a, a data center going. But... The ability to expand and multiply and uh, replicate those time and time again uh, gives the ability to be in the cloud and to a certain extent to be, you know, not in the cloud as well, but basically to be in the cloud to grow a variety of new industries and a variety of new functionalities. So, yes, I think it's exceedingly important. Um, and. Uh, The competition for data centers, I mean, we live, uh, back to a second, we live in New Mexico part of the year as well, at least we used to before COVID-19. And uh, Facebook has set down parameters and markers uh, in New Mexico with data centers. You think of all places, New Mexico, yes, New Mexico, and it's becoming a major data center um, outpost in the United States. And so data centers, you know—you can do with data centers and with cloud, you can be anywhere and do anything. The reality is, however, that there's a sharp economic benefit for having data centers near where you are because people still, it's called location, location, location. People like to be near where their data is, even though their data can be anywhere. They just have this instinct that, well, you know, if I can see it and touch it, I know it's okay. So there still is part of that old-fashioned kind of, we want to be where our data centers are.
0: Today, I'm talking with Bobby Kilberg, president of Northern Virginia Technology Council. Next, we'll talk about being a leader in these unsettling times. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Work. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and today I'm talking with Bobby Kilberg, president of the Northern Virginia Technology Council. Bobby, we are in the midst of some pretty unsettling times. Many recent graduates are having trouble finding jobs. What would be your advice to somebody starting out, or what industry? We talked a little bit about some of the skill sets and the technology, but what kind of advice would you have to a new graduate?
1: I think the key word would be, interestingly enough, a broad general education with a great deal of flexibility because things are gonna change so markedly as we go forward. I don't think anybody can predict what the future will be. I think if you have a strong liberal arts background combined with a strong understanding of technology and STEM education, that is probably the best combination because that gives you the flexibility to move with the times. Um, I think uh, remote work, work from home, telework, is going to be a substantial part of everything we do in the future. You know, people, interestingly enough, they may be very frustrated and they may be going stir crazy, but they also enjoy the flexibility of being able to work from home. It's not an entirely bad thing. There's some very good aspects of it. It's not great aspects of it if you have children you're trying to get something done and also get to have them educated. That is a huge problem. But if you start out in life, the ability to um, control your timetable, control um, how you work and when you work and still be very productive, is in some ways is a blessing. And I know one of my one of my kids, who is a very successful lobbyist, um, she can work, and she's a lawyer, she can work most anywhere, as long as she has a modem, as long as she has access to the internet, and as long as she has relationships that she has built up so that she can communicate and press her viewpoint with others, um, in the community. So I think that um, the future will be flexibility and I think you need to have as broad an education as possible. I agree with David Rubenstein, who you all know I am sure, who really believes that a strong liberal arts foundation is key to understanding who we are, why we are, why we are doing what we are doing. And that we are not just automatize individuals who do things, but don't have an understanding and appreciation for why it's important for our society, for democracy, and for the future. You have
0: had an incredible career. In the last 22 years, you've been at the helm of Northern Virginia Technology Council. It has totally been reshaped and is a real powerhouse Tell me about, a, you know, a particular accomplishment or a mistake you've had in your career that has really, you know, comes to mind immediately.
1: Well, I think, and I always obviously prefer to focus on what we've done right than wrong. Uh, so let me try that. I think one of the best things we did and one of the things that's given me the best, most joy is establishing our Veterans Employment Initiative. We started that, maybe now it's going on seven years ago. Uh, we started it uh, in cooperation and partnership with Governor Bob McDonald, who at that point was the Republican governor of Virginia, and Senator Mark Warner, who at that time was and remains our senior Democrat senator from Virginia. And the concept was that it really ought to be our responsibility to assist transitioning military, those becoming veterans, into the private sector workforce in the technology arena, and that we could do that uniquely well. And over the last seven years or so, the state of Virginia, not we, the state of Virginia gave us credit for actively facilitating the placement of over 16,000 veterans into employment in the technology field in Virginia. And I'm extraordinarily proud of that. And I'm extra, not, not having been a veteran, but having, I hope, some understanding of what they face in that transition and how we can say thank you for the service they performed and provide them a career going forward that will be very important for their lives. So I think that is something that I'm the most proud of.
0: So you're about to retire. Um, what do you hope to accomplish next?
1: Well, uh, believe it or not, I have 12 grandkids, and I'm looking forward um, to spending more time with them. And I know everybody says that, and that sounds cliche-ish, but I really seriously mean that. Plus, I hope to find something that I can turn my attention to that will make this country a better place politically. I have not given up yet on the dream of American democracy. I have given up on the present state of the Republican Party and our present leadership. But I think that the future will come. um, And I hope to still be around, to be able to see around the corner and see that we can, again, return to decency and civility and compromise and the ability to accomplish things for the betterment of the country.
0: So your career and success you you have been truly inspirational. Any pearls of you. wisdom that you would have for the next generation of political leaders? And then I'm going to ask you the same to take the same stance to our technology leaders out there because like you said it's 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 an in- interesting time right now.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the advice is probably almost the same, whether it's political leaders or technology leaders, and that is, don't be afraid, be yourself, stand up for what you believe. That's the most important thing you can do. And if you are worried about how it's going to impact you, you shouldn't be, because in the long term, you will. if you really do what you believe in, you will be proven right. And if you are not proven right, at least you tried and you tried to make a difference because life is short, life is fragile, as we all know. Things can change on a dime and we owe it to our country and we owe it to ourselves to not be afraid to stand up for what's right for this country and what's right for the world and not to, not to forget that we are a global society and that we will not succeed unless we all Are in it together and that's true of the technology industry as well and I look forward to seeing things I cannot even imagine um, as a technology future I mean I mean the autonomous the autonomous systems just blows my mind every day I see something new I say can you really do that really and the answer is yes we probably can so I think we have a good future. I am very nervous about the present, but I think we have a good future, and I look forward to sticking around long enough to see it come to fruition.
0: So I got to add a add on a question on this one. Uh, you know, there's no doubt that if if the as you pointed out, America has not lost its lead today in science and technology, but some of these technologies are going to be foundational of our our business and our prosperity in the future. You named a couple, AI, quantum technology, yeah. 5G. Uh, yeah. do, do, you, do you have any advice around that area for America to, to, you know, either, you know, warning about what the outcome would be if we don't harness and, and find what has always been part of our magic uh, of being able to take on that challenge and, and, and meet it um and and if we don't what what could be the result? Yeah, well,
1: I think you know you you bring up an important point, and that is five g. We simply must maintain our lead on five g. if we don't, um, it'll be disastrous. I mean, our ability to communicate and to innovate is dependent on five g and is dependent going back further than that is dependent on simply bringing broadband to everybody in the country. I mean, it's great to talk about 5G, but we still don't have a sufficiently robust broadband in this country um, um, for basics. So I think probably one of the key factors I would focus on is 5G, and I'd put an extraordinary amount of money and energy into that, including government money.
0: You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Bobby Kilberg. Bobby, I want to thank you for your years of service, uh, both as a a government uh, employee and the incredible work you've done for the Northern Northern Virginia technology area. Uh, You have been a powerhouse in changing uh, the momentum in that area. Um, And thank you for joining us today and and sharing your journey and some very valuable advice. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and I will stick around. (laughs) Take Take care. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening.
1: You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.